0: Welcome to 101, a podcast for young women interested in careers in film and TV.
1: We'll sit down with industry professionals, ask them your questions, and get the answers you need to know. 101, 101. it's It's a beginning. beginning. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 101, it's a beginning, season two. We are here with Jennifer and Galana. This is the first time we've actually had two guests on at the same time. So hello to both of you. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: So where are you guys located?
3: I'm located in Brooklyn, New York.
2: Yay, me too. (laughs) Oh, great. I love that. Oh my God, that's you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Jen, where are you at? So after 19 years in LA, I just celebrated my one year in uh, Indianapolis. Woo! Yeah. Trying out the Midwest, trying to see how I can, uh, you know, work more remote uh, from a place that I actually like to be. Yeah.
0: this is going to be such a, an organic conversation just for our listeners. Like we were just talking about that before we started. I want to talk a little bit about working remotely at, you know, post pandemic during the pandemic, like obviously Jen, this is something that is now an option. Do you want to just kind of tell us a little bit about how that's been for
2: you? Sure. I mean, I think you know, unfortunately, one of fortunately or unfortunately, one of the good things that did come out of COVID was the fact that people did learn how to work more remote, and it forced us into this methodology of working. And you didn't necessarily have to base out of these major production hubs, or there wasn't necessarily. And I'm trying to prove this to myself, but that there's is there the, still the stigma of oh, you got to hire out of LA, you got to hire out of New York. Well, I live there, I've earn my stripes and do I still have to be there to say that I have the skills that I have not necessarily and I think that people are starting to realize that that's the case and you know, either you know the job or you don't you know it doesn't matter what if you're flying someone in you're flying someone in it doesn't necessarily have to be from you know Hollywood um so it's kind of an experiment I'm not gonna lie um and I I got here and um you know, my first production I was in Minneapolis all spring so that worked out you know and I kind of stayed in the Midwest and um, and I actually did a couple projects over the summer uh, here in Indy and one was a giant Jim Ersay project that I did a couple weeks ago. So yeah so far so good working on uh, working remote. So <laughs> now I
0: feel like you know with the pandemic it's just opened up a lot more. Options for everyone. That's really cool. So, yeah, let's start with like the basics because what we really want to do on 101 is to encourage people to have those like fundamentals of what each role encompasses so that they can then say, oh, this is interesting. That sounds like something I want to do. So, let me learn more. So, like bare bones, like, what do you do?
3: Honestly, it depends on the day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, probably a little bit of everything on every day, um, is, is my take on being a production manager. I mean, in general, I think the production manager's role is to essentially be a liaison between the line producer and the creative team and the crew and the production team to make sure that we can figure out how do we translate the creative um, with the budget and the schedule and the needs of every department so that it shows up on the day in front of camera or behind camera so that we can capture whatever is in front of camera, which means that on any given day, I'm, you know, hiring crew, um, helping to source the correct equipment that we're going to need that the director can't live without, or the DP, you know, can't get the shot without. It's managing the budget, it's crew payroll, it's problem solving on the fly in every situation. It's trying to prevent hurricanes and, (laughs) um, and, and, and hurricanes. and create rainstorms. It's it's both. I, I've done both, Jen.
1: <laughs> and I also wanna emphasize that this type of job goes from pre-production all the way to quote unquote, what is rap, which is when you're done filming. So that's a pretty cool part of the role where you're involved in every aspect of the production.
2: I, Galana if I'm a line producer, very much the same role, um, not a union position, but also can potentially deal, deals more with the studio, but also might take it a little bit into post. Does that be a fair assumption?
3: Yes. I mean, generally the line producer would come on before the production manager and would be hiring the production manager if there is a separate line producer. Sometimes those two roles will merge into one, whether they should or not, you know, who am I to say? But the line producer's role starts earlier in that translation of the creative to the budget. And and then overseeing how that budget will be spent uh, for the studio or the production company, for the financiers or producers to report to them everything that will be happening and how that's going to be managed. And so they do, like Jen said, start very early on and often will, will work into post-production a little more. Um, sometimes line producers will become a post-producer, um, but that also varies, I think.
2: Yeah, the role of producer, man, it's very loosey-goosey.
3: <laughs> Isn't it? But just knowing these little,
0: these
2: little nuances that you're sharing with us is like super helpful. Yeah. I mean, the the Producers Guild of America tries to put definitions on every type of producer literally every three years to make sure that they're current, but it's not enforceable, you know, because there's so many productions, there's so many ways to manage a production that it's just trying to standardize that. It's I don't think it's ever gonna happen. But they're they're doing their best, you know, and they're at least putting definitions to these roles, um, both scripted, non-scripted and all levels of producing. So nice. So how did you get into the industry?
0: Did you have one moment in your lives that you were like, man, this is for me,
2: Jen. Oh, I was going to, I mean, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, you guys want me to tell my story? Cause I, I didn't really have an aha moment. It was really something that was, that was new and fresh nobody was really doing in like the 80s and 90s and I knew how movies made me feel and I wanted to bring that to someone like I wanted to be a part of that and um I I don't know if this was a triggering point but I just remember it so vividly um I remember doing a book report in the sixth grade um on Steven Spielberg you know all his work in up until what 87 or whatever (laughs) And I didn't want to just read a report to my class. So I literally put a table up in front of the classroom, put a sheet over it, pretended I was a radio and I had recorded uh, my dad being interviewed as Steven Spielberg uh, <laughs> that to the class. So for, I could kind of call that my turning point of like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do movies. So
1: <laughs> that's
2: amazing, Jen. I didn't know that story. Yes. My dad was Steven Spielberg for a while. <laughs>
0: You should just casually throw that into conversations. <laughs> like my dad, you know, Steven Spielberg.
3: I don't know that I had an aha moment either. Per- specifically, I think that I always loved movies as a kid. I went to an art school for middle school and high school. And there was the inkling of like a film program beginning, or really it was video. But I, it was in 1997, to put a year on it, when the re-release of Star Wars came out. And I went with all my friends to the midnight screening and the credits rolled and it was like the greatest thing ever because I finally got to see Star Wars in the theater, having already been a fan. And it was like, oh, wait, these are jobs and people get paid to do this. And I was like, oh, well, I'm obviously going to be George Lucas. Like that's happening. And everyone said, there's no way that you're ever going to do that. Um, which made me try harder. And so here I am. I don't I don't know that I will ever be George Lucas, but that was definitely like the the pathway for me to be like, oh, there's I I have to be able to make movies. Like if that's a job, that's a job I want and I can do it.
2: I like that story. That's a good story. Oh, these are jobs. jobs. (laughs) Look. For the longest time, I thought it was just a director. I was like, yeah, I guess that's who makes movies, you know? that's There's
3: (laughs) hundreds of people on the credits of Star Wars. You're like, whoa, why are, like, I literally, I had, I think, you know, as a kid, you never watch the credits, but here I was like at the midnight screening at the Senator Theater in Baltimore, Maryland, with hundreds of people dressed up in costume, watching this, being like and you had to sit through the, you had to sit through the credits I mean, like, oh my gosh, there's 15 minutes of credits on this movie and who are all these people and what are all these people doing? And this is amazing. Hashtag stay for the credits.
0: Yes. So, you know, I know that we touched on how, like how vast your roles are and just the responsibilities that, you know, that are involved in, in what you do. Usually our next question is like, what are your day-to-day responsibilities? But I I guess, you know, we can talk about that, but I also wonder if there's like one thing that you guys have had to do on a job that was just unusual and it doesn't have to be bad. It's just like an unusual thing that you had to do that you're like, I, all the things. I never <laughs> I thought I'd be doing things.
2: this. All the things, I mean, honestly, <laughs> all the things. The science of projects I work on, all the things. <laughs> all the things that I thought, never thought I'd have to do. I don't know. I'm really good at um, dealing with porta-potties. I, just, I was just going to say. Uh, my mom recites this. I've complained about it so much. <laughs> I, was in, I was in high uh, East Bend, North Carolina. We were shooting a movie, I don't know, February, March, and it was a really cold winter, and we were, not stealing, but we were buying water from the neighbor's house and running a hose to the porta-potties. Guess what? Hoses freeze, and then you don't have water in your porta-potties, and so I had to learn how to heat up a hose with heat tape. I mean, really random, like, (laughs) what the hell? Because I didn't have a, a full locations team or a full transportation team, so I'm literally wrapping hot wires around this hose to try to it's I'm seeing a lot space. It's like it's so embarrassing. It's like that's no <laughs> <Like>, <laughs> <my life. laughs>
1: well, there was no one else. Like I had to solve the problem. Like that was it. Yeah. No freezing pipes I've helped deal with that on a shoot. Not fun. Every day
3: there's something new and wild that you never thought you would have to face before. And now you have to figure it out. And sometimes it's a small thing like payroll math, right? Sometimes it's a huge thing like Oh my gosh, I have to get a permit to get an elephant into Manhattan. And the permit office has just denied our permit and we need the elephant tomorrow. Like,
0: yeah, the
2: elephant story. Yeah.
3: I
0: love how you casually throw in an elephant story. Like, <laughs> that is pretty amazing. Oh. It is,
2: it
3: is one of, when I was a production coordinator, it was one of the challenges I faced that marked my path the most um, was that I was working on an indie feature and we had a scene with an elephant. And New York City has no bovine laws. You're not allowed to bring a bovine animal into any of the five boroughs. The permit office denied our request to bring the elephant into, into the city for this scene. And so here was the producers like, well, we don't want to pay any more for this permit. We don't want to fulfill all the requirements that the city is saying we have to do to bring a uh, an elephant into the city. So With just a few hours left before the next day, I had to then call the permit office and beg and plead and get them to issue the permit by just agreeing to anything and everything they wanted. They wanted an autograph of the elephant. They got it. (laughs) Um, um, I think it was like some photos for their child is what we ended up providing. But yeah, it's like, you know, you have to think on your toes and figure out and problem solve all those those different kinds of things on a day to day, and you never know what it could be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you mentioned being a production coordinator. Can we sort of talk about how you get to being a UPM and, and like what sort of path you can take? I know there's multiple paths that one can take to get to where you guys are. Um, but yeah, just some insight on that. And obviously, like any skill sets that go along with those roles. Oh, Jen and I love pathways.
2: The job requires knowing literally. Uh, enough about every position on the project to be able to, to manage all those departments. Jen's
3: right, because you have to know what every department needs to an extent, right? Because one person can't know everything, but you have to have a framework for what every department needs, the personnel that are required for them to do their jobs. So you can literally be an art PA and become a production manager working your way up through the art department office. Um, The the more traditional route, or maybe maybe a route, is as a production office assistant, which is how I came up. I was an office PA on a television show, and then I worked my way up for years as a secretary, an assistant coordinator, a production coordinator, a production supervisor, and a production manager. That was the path I took. I know camera assistants who have decided to change course and get into production and become production managers. The, the DGA looks at it as through the AD department, um, which we may or may not agree with. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, have we have strong
3: opinions on that. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we have some strong opinions as to whether or not an AD is is experienced Always. or qualified or skilled enough to become a production manager. But if they have a foundation, for the roles and responsibilities needed on a film set then that is a, a path to being a UPM so we have a whole section in our book um and Jen and I spent <laughs> hours trying to to um create with the visual like, of it right like, right to yeah. visualize the steps um that one could take to become a, a production manager locations department that's another one yeah, yeah. great place, a great path. You can go from being a unit PA to a locations assistant, to a location scout, to a
2: location coordinator, to an ALM, to a location manager, to a UPM. Coming from locations, they have the most applicable skill set to be production manager. That and and a production account, like accounting, if you go through the accounting office, um, because there is just so much of that accounting structure. But those guys tend to live sheltered lives, so they don't always have the the bigger scope, those poor kids, but they work hard and that without them, like we would flounder. So
1: <laughs> That's really interesting. So yeah, we'd like to share uh, to our listeners that Jen and Galana have a book called Keys to the Production Office. You can see them both behind their their heads. <laughs> love it. Love the plug. So yeah, talk to us about how that came about. Would love to hear about that. We should actually go back to even the fact
2: that Galana and I went to college together. So we went to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So that's how we met. That's right. And um, and Galana was a major rock star in her class. I mean, there's always like the standout kids, and she was 100% the standout kids. I'm a little bit older than her, um, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's irrelevant. But anyway, it's true. And then I'll lead up, and then you can take over. But so, like, I think just as I went through my career. And, and started just honestly gaining knowledge and learning, there were always things that I would sort of start collecting of like, oh, you know what? This is really good information or this is a really good article, or this is really good. Just like if I didn't understand something, sometimes I would literally like recreate a document for myself so that I could like interpret it. I mean, I think one of my very first jobs, I had literally developed like a little, I've never told anyone this, like a little booklet that I took with me to the set And it had like all the production forms in it and how to fill them out and it was like it was the most ridiculous thing but i loved it because in case someone asked me to do something like that like fill out a form i'd be like oh well i'm just going to look in my little cheat book here (laughs) Um, so i would do that kind of stuff um and then as a as a coordinator um so I also came up as a coordinator too. I I did I did some set PA work, a little bit of office PA, and then APOC production coordinator. And I was on a television show for seven years. And the producers were very generous in that they always were trying to bring in um, uh, like interns every summer. We would always have new interns, but these kids like they knew nothing. A lot of them were really great, like fantastic kids, um, but they knew nothing. So half of my my day uh, when I got these kids on board, it was was literally Well, sorry, to onboard them to like, I would develop this booklet of like, okay, here's everything you need to know about the show, some production 101 basics, and the rest, you know, talk to the other PAs and figure it out. But here, like, I would literally sit down with them and kind of go through all this. So, but then I found out Galana had taken a similar initiative.
3: Yes. So, wait, I just want to back up for a second because it's funny. Again, here's something else I'm learning about you, Jen, that I didn't know was that you had a little cheat sheet book that you were collecting over many years and I did the same thing.
2: Oh
3: my God. I would, I would collect documents from different jobs. I would skim copies. So a producer would hand me something to make a copy of when I was an office PA and I would make two copies and then I would stick one in my desk drawer and I would give them one, their copy back.
2: We're not advocating this. It was just no. that we did. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sure. We're not advocating it, but Look, the truth is, if <laughs> you need to learn something, it's on you to learn it, right? So you have to take the initiative to learn whatever it is to advance yourself. Not everyone is going to hand you the keys, as we are. <laughs> um, that was, you know. <laughs>
2: that's good.
3: So for years, I was always collecting this information just as Jen was. And then I was working on a movie, and I had um, an office PA who came to me, she was brand new into the industry. She came out of a training program that we have here in New York called Made in New York. And it is an incredible PA training program. And she was my office PA and she was so hungry to learn everything. And I just didn't have the time. And she came to me one day and she was like, I want to do this right. And I keep screwing it up. I need you to tell me what, what I'm doing wrong so I can do it right. She's like, just make me a list. So I went home over the weekend and I wrote her a book of like 50 pages of everything I needed her to do every day. And on Monday morning, I handed her my little like print out in a loose leaf binder and was like, here, here's everything I think you need to know for us to get through this job together. She loved it. And she told everybody else about it. And she was like, you should publish this. And I was like, I don't have time for that, but I made copies (laughs) Um, and I I self-published a couple hundred copies and I gave them to the Made in New York training program and I gave them to other office coordinators for their office PAs so that a PA could come in day one and just start to figure it out. And it was very basic. Um, But Jen and I met up at an alumni event and somehow you had a copy or saw a copy you were promoting
2: it. And so I naturally would have responded very jealous, but proud. And, yeah, so that's, uh... <laughs> that's, that's exactly how you responded. Probably.
3: And um, Jen, what you said to me was like, this is really great Galana, but it's only for New York, which was true is that it was very New York specific because I'd never worked in LA or anywhere else in the country at that point. And Jen had the idea of like, well, really, you know, maybe we can work together to expand upon it.
2: It wasn't until COVID that we had two years to, to write a book.
1: <laughs> Pretty fast. Right. Yeah.
3: It was almost two years to the day. I think I sent Jen an email on April Fool's Day 2020 <laughs> and was like, hey, haha, let's write this book right now before we both go back to work. Yeah. Um, and then we started Zooming like <laughs> every day for hours and hours trying to figure yeah. out how to write the book.
1: Amazing. Yeah. So where can people get this book? On
2: rutledge.com, which is our publisher or on Amazon? There is nothing else like our book out there. I'm just going to put it flat out there. There are books with similar types of content, like for set PAs or, uh, you know, general production, how to, and so there's overlaps, but there is nothing like keys to the production office. That is literally it's designed. It's written to be a handbook. It's written to be used on the job, literally as a how-to guide. Like yes, we recommend you read it before you start a job, but take it with you on that job. And if you find how to do something, guess what? A hundred percent, it is in there, step by step. It is that specific. We're we're extremely proud of that because nothing like this existed. You know, we thought, well, it why not? It should. And so we made this comprehensive guide so that. Anyone could succeed in the industry just by reading 250 pages there done. The other side of this, too, is that, you know,
3: Jen and I, we did all of our learning on the job as well. Like there wasn't anybody holding our hand saying this is how you do this. Right. You don't know what you don't know and you don't know how to do the job until you do the job. And so I think that there's been a lot of people who have tried and failed because they didn't have the support network. They didn't have the mentors to guide them, to point them in the right direction of how to gain this knowledge or experience. And some people can't get in the door at all because they have no experience. And so with this book, at least they have a foundation of, all of the tools that they can use to build a career upon. They can walk into a production office on day one. And when the the production coordinator says, hey, I need you to PO this thing, that PA can turn to whatever page it is in the book and figure out how to complete a purchase order on their first day of the job. And it makes them invaluable. Mm-hmm. And it allows the production office to better support the production as a whole, because that's the purpose of the office. For me, it was also to to create this tool that Jen and I didn't have when we started our careers that um, really would have helped and to make make the information accessible. Like the film business is not a big secret. Tom Hanks just came out with a, just wrote a book. Did you see this? And he's like, nobody knows how hard it is to make a movie. And I was like, yeah, no shit. No, but what's so funny is like, it hasn't really changed that much in decades, yet nobody is, nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: but it sounds like this, you know, this is such an invaluable resource for people starting out because it gives them that advantage that sets them apart from all the other PAs or all of the other people just getting started that... Everyone in your position is praying for to have that person on their team who is ready to jump in and already know like how to help, how to support, how to make sure things run smoothly. And I, you know, I, I it sounds like such a wonderful resource for our listeners. I think it also sounds like a wonderful resource for people in the business because they can either give it to people that are you know supporting them or refer to it for their own knowledge
2: I mean there's there's a uh, there's an entire chapter I mean it is literally good for anybody in the workforce we have an entire chapter on just how to be a professional in the workspace it's really basic stuff but people have kind of lost sight of it anymore you know and it's like how not you know how to how to be appropriate in that space among other people you know there's this gray area in the film
3: industry of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate and i think we we all get very very comfortable and we're working so quickly that we forget that we're all humans we're all people and i think that there's professional decorum that's sometimes lacking our hope is that you know this this book helps you know create more well-rounded office PAs, but also encourages, you know, a little bit more of that professionalism in the work that we do. We're not out there willy-nilly making movies. This is really valid, challenging work that influences
2: a lot of people. And look, I'll always push the book because I'm very proud of the book, but it's like, if someone tells me that they found the book and they read the book or they brought the book, I mean, if they came from nothing, like I will hire someone who wants to learn and who wants to be there over, any, over someone with experience with a bad attitude who's just there for a paycheck.
3: As far as accessibility, there's so many people out there that want to get into the film industry that don't have a foundation, that can't go to film school, that can't go to college, that can't go to trade school. And here we're saying you don't need to. Like Jen said, if you're willing to take the initiative, those are the people that we want to continue to inspire the film industry, to change it, to make it better. I yeah. think we can be doing what we do better.
2: Ties in. yep.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's so refreshing to to remind our listeners that, because there are people who aren't in LA, they're not in New York City, you know? and And it seems like if you're in the middle of, you know, a small town, and you don't have these resources, it's good to know that there is a path to being in this industry. It seems like it's very exclusive, because I think in some cases it is. But it's also good to know that there's a way in. And just Jen, hearing what you said about how having the right attitude and having that desire to learn how to do things the right way, It just takes you so far how would you advise our listeners to or where would you advise them to look for jobs so
2: for those of you who do decide to go to film school those those are your comrades right that that's your starting place right there all your all your classmates um are are your first initial um network network yes thank you (laughs) network but for those who don't decide to go to film school but maybe you live in a production city and there's equipment rental houses that are there Uh, I've seen people be successful going and working at the rental house. And then you're tangentially related to that, that production and you're meeting the crew as they come in and as they prep gear and different things. You know, I was in Minneapolis and, you know, I think a lot of cities do this now where they have Facebook groups for their film community. Now I'm not saying it's full of professionals, but you know what? It's full of a lot of people who want to make a lot of things and you never know who you're going to find. Um, you know, I'm speaking to the Indiana Filmmakers Network tomorrow. They want to be there. They want to, and, and they want to network. And I've seen uh, how they've made those relationships and then actually produced content from it. And, you know, they're they're doing it. They're doing it.
3: Finding those like-minded, passionate individuals, right? You can do that if there's a film festival that's in your town that's hosting screenings, but also events. You go and you network and you meet people who have made films that are at the festival Or other people in your community who are really passionate about making films. Um, And then you start to collaborate with them. And film commissions, a lot of film commissions. I mean, almost every state has one now. Yeah, Yeah, who who does the film office have on their their list is definitely a good way. Uh, But also like training programs that are not film schools, but PA training programs that a lot of states now offer those programs. Georgia has one. New Mexico has one. Texas has one. Um, uh, obviously New York, I, Im- I imagine LA has one. <laughs> there are, there are a lot of set PA training programs specifically to get people on the film set. Um, and obviously the work of a set PA is very different than the work of an office PA. Made in New York training program does like a one day about the production office.
2: PA camp does like four hours on office PA as part of their training, but really they're much better at training the set PAs, uh, you know, and they just, they stick in the office PA because they want to be balanced, but yeah, uh, it's a very good program, by the way. I'm not, gonna, they're very good. So.
3: <laughs> it's like, take every opportunity you can. Yeah. And that doesn't ever stop. You know, even at, you know, at our experience levels, Jen and I are always, always learning and taking on new experiences, doing workshops, going to panels and those kinds of panels that we're not on and <laughs> listening and learning from other experienced producers and production managers and filmmakers. So that's really important. Nice. So
0: what is the best part of your job?
2: I like the creative problem solving. I do. Like that's, uh, you know, Every day is a little bit of a challenge. Every day is figuring out, okay, how do I approach this? How do I think outside the box enough just to tackle this and put the pieces together? I like putting production plans together. I like figuring out the best way that we can execute this. Galana hates when I use the word execute. Execute the vision. You know, it never goes according to plan, but I really like putting that plan together and saying, okay, this is exactly how we're going to do it. It's this time. This is going to be the time. It's going to work out all as (laughs) plans.
3: But I think my favorite part is that part of my responsibility is to take care of everybody. I'm just by nature, a caretaker. So, you know, I take it very personally. It's my responsibility to take care of every single person you know, in front of and behind the camera and the people that are I can't see that are in the office 15 miles away. And as part of the plans that we're making is taking that into consideration. What are we doing to take care of everybody so that they can show up and they can do their jobs?
2: Yeah. You just more nurturing. I do the same, but I'm not nearly as nurturing.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm <sorry. laughs> it's also, I just want to say it's also the thing I hate most. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because it takes every living fiber of my being to do that. Honestly, I would say one of the most difficult things about the job is I feel like there's a stigma against production always. So going back to what Galana just said, we do, we try our hardest to take care of our people. We want to treat them right. We do everything we can to make fair deals. I'm very transparent. Production safety is very high on my list. I educate producing team members on how to, what their responsibilities are to, uh, as far as managing a, 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 you know, a risk-free production, um, just just general safety awareness. But because there's there's just, there's been incidences and I'm not saying it's necessarily always safety related, but people bring their baggage from other shows onto yours. And I get the brunt of that. Production isn't always the enemy. And I personally take offense to someone who comes at me like with their, you know, with their, I don't know, fists up, I don't know a better way to, to put it, where it's like, they're ready to fight. And I'm like, look, it doesn't have to be a fight. I'm not a bad guy. That stigma is real. And it's okay. very frustrating to fight. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about this. I was like, you know, that's what I hate the most. But Jen, that is that is
3: the hard part of taking care of people. Yeah. And is thats yeah. that we're all human, right? We're all people who have emotions, who have experiences that we're bringing with us everywhere we go. We're carrying all of that with us. And it comes out in places where maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. And it does often in production feel like it is directed towards the production manager in ways that it shouldn't be. Um, and we do carry a heavy load and take the brunt. I, You know, I had an experience on a show during COVID where Covid just exasperate, like makes everybody exasperated with with how much em- emotional baggage they're all carrying, the weight, the fear of of everything that was happening in the high part of of the first part of the pandemic. And my job was to assuage those fears and to try to convince hundreds of people every day that I'm going to make sure they don't get Covid, that I'm going to take care of them, that they're going to be able to do their job and come to work and be in a safe environment. And that takes a toll. And so while you know it's my favorite thing, it's also, like Jen said, it's also the hardest thing is managing those expectations of others. And because we can't control the other bad experiences that they've had. I think there have been a lot of bad precedents set industry-wide in a lot of ways in how we treat people. That's really hard to change. I think our hope with this book and with us as production managers is to encourage and inspire and influence that change to sort of trickle down and around us and to work with people who also see it that way. But yeah, I don't think single-handedly we, we could change it. Man, if, if if a book could change the world. That positive experience maybe lessens the burden of
0: that negative experience that they had and reminds people oh. that there are good people in this industry. So, you know, collectively, yes, I think it it does take a a village, so to speak. But it seems like you guys are, are doing a pretty good job with it. So,
1: <laughs> You know, in this industry, we're all self-employed, really. Um, and so you go from one gig to the next, you go from one family to the next. And that's a reminder to create a blank slate, tabula rasa, if you will, for each production yeah. that you walk into. Wow. The big question, we feel it's really important to be transparent as to what somebody can expect to be paid for this type of role. Um, either starting out as a PA and then moving your way up, you know, what to expect.
2: I will say I've I've done PA work for minimum wage. I've done production management work for minimum wage. And don't even laugh, I swear to God. I just didn't, I just didn't. This is not California minimum wage at $15. <laughs> I just did Texas. This is $7 and 25 cents an hour in little South Carolina. I don't know how many years ago, but I enjoy what I do. So I don't, as long as I can pay my rent and live and I don't live lavishly. Like I don't, I don't necessarily work to, to make oodles of money. That doesn't mean I won't take the oodles of money, but I don't necessarily take a job just because of, of what it is or is not paying. And then on the high end, like, you know, um, if, we're, if it's a DGA show, I mean, they have rate scales so that you can go up, you know, depending on where you're working and you can always negotiate higher.
3: Um, in New York right now, there's a big push, a movement to start paying above minimum wage in New York. Um, and New York already, already has one of the highest minimum wages in the country. Once you're starting to do more work, I think it's fair to start asking for higher wages and also to make sure that you're making as much um, as your peers who are doing the same work. I'm glad you brought that up because
0: I think that's one thing one of our other guests touched on that she would speak with her colleagues and, you know, we really want to encourage our listeners to talk about money, talk about your rates so that you know what other people are making so you can make informed decisions when you get opportunities. You can say yes, you can say no, you can ask for more money. You know, the experience that the, this guest shared was eye opening for us. (laughs) Meredith and I were like, really?
3: So it's important to like, know your value in the framework of the work that you're doing. And again, what your peers are making for that same work, you know, I'm starting to produce now and trying to navigate negotiating for myself is really hard. I also like Jen, you know, I want to do a job because I like it. And that will influence how I negotiate, yeah. what the value is to me beyond the financial benefit, weighing the value there of those different those different things. Um, but yes, the DGA has their rate cards public, and so even if you're working something non-union or you're not DGA and you're working as a production manager, I think that that is always a really good guide for how to negotiate your rate on corresponding budget levels.
1: We do have those rate cards on our website at 101podcast.com in addition to their book. So are there any directors or films that have inspired you or influenced your work and what you love to work on?
2: My favorite film is Labyrinth and, you know, I quote, quote it all the time. So <laughs> so there I love that movie too. Yeah.
1: The most brilliant movie. And if they
2: try to remake it, I... Ooh. Uh, I, I have no words don't okay, say that are we a, making yeah never-ending story guys i know no, there's
3: uh, no there's no original content out there apparently yeah,
2: we've killed so. all the
3: stories no no more stories
2: yeah, told
0: them all there's all this <laughs> end of discussion <laughs>
3: Um well I think back in the beginning of this I said that I wanted to be George Lucas and <laughs> growing up um I would say like he was one of the most influential people in um in my film life and then I learned about Kathleen Kennedy and I was like oh here's a woman doing what I want to do and then have since discovered there are so many other amazing women who are incredible producers and studio executives and production managers out there that I admire
2: a lot. We do have a lot of Star Wars Easter eggs in the book for those of you who are Star Wars fans. Just Ooh, so. do. I like it.
0: All right. Well, Jennifer and Galana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks to our listeners for joining us as well. And stay tuned. Uh, oh, and buy their book, guys. Come on. I mean, let's be serious. I want to buy their book and yeah. I'm so excited to read it. So uh, yeah, buy the book, absorb it, and we'll see you next time. This is 101.